Are you looking for more ways to learn about military and veteran culture? Are you a mental health professional or public health professional without lived experience in the military, but find yourself working with veterans? Are you a caregiver or a family member of a veteran? Then you might be interested in a series of books that have been released with you in mind. By going to veteranmentalhealth.com forward slash books, you can check out three books that give you an insight into veteran mental health from a combat veteran perspective. These books are a collection of short, consumable essays that discuss a wide range of topics related to mental health and wellness in post-military life. Head on over to veteranmentalhealth.com forward slash books and check them out for yourself or follow the link in the show notes. Welcome to episode 140 of the Headspace and Tommy podcast. Today, I have a conversation with the founder of the Veterans Yoga Project, Dr. Daniel J. Libby. Dan and I talk about mindfulness, meditation, yoga, and how it can truly change the lives of those veterans who try it and find out it works for them. People want practices that are empowering. Nobody wants to take pills, right? Um, I mean, I'm all for uh, you know, some of these evidence-based and having, and having professional supports, I think there's nothing more important. Um, and especially if you're doing these practices, you need a community, you need a social support, you need professional supports. Um, but most importantly, trauma is a disempowering experience. From the moment trauma happens, it, you are disempowered in your mind and your body. And these practices are re-empowering and help put us in control. And that's what people are looking for. And, you know, we all want to be better at what we do. My uh, my mission, I guess, is to, in particular, help veterans and families who are uh, struggling with reintegration or struggling with trauma or just moving through that process to be able to have the tools to do so successfully. Welcome to the Headspace and Timing Podcast, a show dedicated to breaking down the stereotypes around veteran mental health. My name is Dwayne France, and I'm a retired Army non-commissioned officer and a combat veteran of both Iraq and Afghanistan. After retiring from the Army, I took on a new mission as a clinical mental health counselor for my fellow service members. If you served in any branch of the military, then you're familiar with the M2 machine gun, the 50 cal. It's one of the most effective weapons in the military's arsenal. If the weapon's headspace and timing wasn't set correctly, however, it was just a useless chunk of metal. Veterans can be rendered inoperable if their headspace and timing's not set correctly either. That's my goal with this show, to change the way that we think and talk about veteran mental health and reduce the stigma against seeking support. Each week, we'll talk with mental health professionals, veterans, and those who support service members, veterans, and their families. We're going to have real and honest conversations about a topic that most just don't like to talk about, veteran mental health. Let's jump into this week's conversation. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Headspace and Timing Podcast. Once again, and as always, we really appreciate you taking the time to listen and learn more about veteran mental health. You know, as I was getting ready for today's guest on a, a topic that I feel um, personally enthused about, um, that, that I have my own practice, uh, at least a mindfulness practice. Uh, but I realized that we haven't actually had a conversation about mindfulness or meditation. And, and I've seen it work so well with veterans. And so I'm glad to be able to have my guest on the show, uh, Dr. Daniel Libby, who is a founder of the Veterans Yoga Project. Dan, welcome to the show. Good morning. Thanks for having me, Dwayne. 
Yeah, I, I appreciate you taking the time. I, uh, and I appreciate, uh, Tim Avery for, for connecting us. Um, was able to spend a, a nice Sunday morning, I think a couple of weeks ago when you came into town and, and had a, a nice cup of coffee. Um, really appreciate what you're doing with the Veterans Yoga Project. Before we get into that, though, I want to give you an opportunity to tell the audience a bit about yourself. Sure. Thanks. Um, my name is Daniel Libby. I'm a clinical psychologist, um, turned yoga teacher, turned nonprofit executive director. I was trained at the VA uh, West Haven in Connecticut, which is really where the whole Veterans Yoga Project began. Um, but I'm not a veteran myself. I never had a real uh, interest in working with veterans, honestly. Um, but I did have an interest in trauma, in psychophysiology, uh, in the body-mind connection. And so when I did a postdoctoral fellowship uh, through Yale University at the West Haven VA, I started using yoga, which um, for us uh, at Veterans Yoga Project, you know, there's a lot of different definitions of yoga out there. So for us, that's breathing, meditation, mindful movement, guided rest, and gratitude. Uh, and I found that the veterans that I worked with who uh, had a practice or learned to practice uh, one of these self-empowering tools, that they had better outcomes. And uh, really the fourth class I ever taught, one of my veterans came up to me and said, hey, I stopped taking my sleep meds because now I meditate to go to sleep. And that was really the beginning of, of this whole journey. And so uh, now I am the executive director uh, of the Veterans Yoga Project. We're a 501c3 nonprofit. Uh, we are working with yoga teachers and mental health professionals around the country, uh, bringing these tools to veterans in both treatment and community contexts. Uh, last year, we documented 20,000 visits where veterans and their family members were coming to our classes. And we are poised to continue to bring these tools, um, again, both to VAs and vet centers and other treatment programs, uh, but also just to the rest of us in the community uh, who can use these tools to live in line with our values and goals. Yeah, I think that's great. And, and uh, as you and I talked a, a while back and even just briefly before we started, I, I firmly do believe in the value of, of mindfulness meditation. I don't have a personal yoga practice, but I do have um, as much of a, a meditation practice as, as I can. Uh, a colleague of mine says that's part of the uh, part of the meditation practice is feeling guilty that you're not meditating enough. So that's one more thing to let go. Um, and so before we get into, uh, the veterans yoga project and, and, and as I'd mentioned, not having had a discussion about mindfulness meditation or, or mindfulness in general on the show, um, maybe you could talk a little bit about that. Yeah, sure. I'd love to. Um, there is, there's a lot out there in the world, uh, people talking about mindfulness and different ideas about what mindfulness is. To me, mindfulness is just about harnessing all of your attentional resources, right? At any point in, in your moment-to-moment -moment existence, your attention is somewhere, right? Your attention is focused maybe scrolling through your emails. Maybe your attention is focused on trying to figure out what you want to have for dinner. Sometimes your attention is focused on your work. And a lot of times our attention is um, pulled away from us in a way that we don't feel in control of. Right. And especially in today's world, there's so many things competing for our attention and our ability to harness our attention in line with our values and goals 
uh, allows us to live a, a strong and meaningful and purposeful life. When we don't have control of our attention, um, it, it runs away from us and it is more of a liability than necessary. Um, one way, Dwayne, that I talk about mindfulness is, um, training a new puppy, right? If, if you think about a puppy or a dog, right? Puppies are very easily distracted. And over time, what you do is you train your puppy and you say heal, right? And you bring the puppy right back by your side. And then the puppy gets distracted by something else. And then you bring the puppy right back by your side and you say heal. And over time, that puppy that could have been a real liability, like pulling you here and there and, you know, scratching up the furniture and, you know, not being potty trained in the house. Um, over time, if you train your puppy, it becomes an asset. And it can, you know, provide you comfort and warmth and protection and it can go fetch you the newspaper. And our minds are the same way. For most of us, um, our biggest liability is our mind, right? It's our own thoughts, our own critical mind. It's our own um, emotional, you know, our inability to sort of effectively move through some of our emotions. It's our own experience, internal experience that really drives us from being able to live in line with our values and goals. And that's especially true for somebody who's dealing with trauma. And in particular, I work with veterans who are dealing with post-traumatic stress, and that is a um, a condition or a situation in which your attention is constantly being pulled away, right, into memories, into uh, worries, into all sorts of things. And the ability to harness your attention where you want it is one of the most empowering things that we can do as a human being, and especially for somebody who's having trouble doing that. And so for me, the practice of mindfulness is just about harnessing your attentional resources to be able to predict, right, where do you get distracted, right? What are the things that distract you? Because that's what the mind always does. And, you know, there's this idea that when you sit down to meditate, you should be able to control your mind straight away. But that's not what happens when you first start training a puppy, right? It takes a long time. Um, but over time, you'd be able to, you know, control that puppy for longer periods of time, control your attention for longer periods of time, allowing you to be empowered in line with your values and goals. So to me, that's really what mindfulness is. It's just about, you know, noticing where your mind goes and then bringing your attention back to where you want to focus on. And in many mindfulness practices, it's focusing on the sensations of the breath or the body. And that has a whole other therapeutic component to it in and of itself. Yeah, see, I really appreciate that sort of um, identification. And, and that's really uh, the idea of mindfulness, not really yet getting into the meditative practice of mindfulness, but just what mindfulness is. Um, recall listening to a series of lectures, and probably one of the best ways that I heard it described is present attention with awareness, right? So you can be paying attention to something, but if you're not aware of it, then, then it's not really mindful. Um, but that the opposite of is mindlessness, right? We all have these experiences of um, driving from house to work and, and not really think, you know, how did I get here? You know, and it's just this, um, and, and like you said, we're always, our bodies are always present in the moment, but our minds are either in the f future, you know, what am I going to do when I get to work or what am I going to do when I get to the movie theater? Um, or it's in the past and in, for veterans with trauma, in my experience, it's in the past about, you know, what happened to, you know, to me and the trauma and the experience that I had in combat or it's anxiety about the future. You know, how do I um, feel about, uh, you know, what fears about what may be in the future and anticipation and things like that. Um, and so for me, 
you're exactly right in, in sort of what you were talking about with the veterans you worked with in New Haven was that once I start to help veterans understand where you currently are to bring your attention back to the present, um, it, it seems to continue to, to get stronger and be easier as time goes on. Yeah, yeah, you're exactly right. And I think, um, you know, it's like working out any other muscle, right? The more you use a muscle, the stronger it gets, uh, the more capable you are. Um, but I think importantly, Dwayne, part of that mindfulness practice, and this is the difficult part of it, is that if you look at the definitions of mindfulness, um, it's really about that present moment awareness, but there's also an attitude of acceptance or welcoming. And we know that one of the symptom clusters of post-traumatic stress is avoidance. Right. And there's also hypervigilance, right, which would be part of more of that hyperarousal. Um, but if you think about hypervigilance in particular, it is about paying attention right now. Right. Hypervigilance is being very focused on the moment. Um, but there's with this attitude that I'm going to have to jump up and move into action, that I'm going to have to jump up and save somebody or I'm going to have to jump up and run. And there's this paying attention to the present moment on purpose, but with an expectation of having to act where mindfulness is about paying attention to the present moment on purpose but it's more with an attitude of just welcoming what happens of being non-reactive and just noticing without having to react and without the expectation that we're going to have to do anything and with even welcoming what arises because as we slow down our, our minds begin to think things that we've been trying not to think about we've been feeling the things we've been trying not to feel and so in order to stay in the present moment we have to welcome and be okay with what are sometimes uncomfortable feelings and that's the real challenge of mindfulness it's not about finding this blissful place in your mind where everything feels better that's really bs right mindfulness is about doing the work of being here amongst those blissful feelings and, and feelings of joy, but also amidst the feelings that um, aren't so pleasant and aren't so comfortable and being able to sit with those and be able to not engage in avoidant behavior when feeling those feelings, for example, um, that is the real practice of mindfulness. And that's the challenge of it. And that's what takes a lot of strength and determination and um, those inner resources that um, I really try to get in touch with when I'm working with veterans or anybody else. Right. And I think that, um, it, you know, definitely the science has shown that um, mindfulness and mindfulness meditation and present attention with awareness, um, all of these things actually have an impact on our brain. You know, we've talked before about neuroplasticity on the show and how our brains will adapt to whatever goes into it or comes out of it and both the good and the bad. Um, but mindfulness meditation and mindfulness specifically has shown to make positive improvements in the brain. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. They're, I mean, the, what they can do now with this brain, brain imaging research is extraordinary. And, you know, now we're documenting what, you know, people have been practicing, practicing these tools for, you know, thousands of years have said, and, um, and, and what makes sense just logically and yeah, the truth is, is that as people practice mindfulness meditation, the brain regions associated with hyperreactivity, for example, um, show less activity and even shrink in size. And those areas of the brain associated with uh, present moment awareness and acceptance um, and self-regulation uh, show more activity or improvement. 
Right. And so I, and I, I'm thinking of, you know, obviously once you start to eat right and exercise, you see visible changes to your body, right? Whatever it is you want to do, building muscle mass or, or, um, you know, losing weight. But, you know, you don't necessarily see physically the benefits of, of mindfulness meditation, or perhaps you could as you connect it with, with other types of, um, exercise and fitness. Um, but it's all, all something that's sort of, um, inside, right? It's in our brain and we don't see, you know, our brains, we don't, it's more in a, a change that we feel, um, and that's demonstrated in our behavior rather than something that we can point to and say, you know, look at this muscle that's gotten so big in the last six months. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Um, people can't see inside our heads, but you know what? People actually do see it. One of the things I hear back from the spouses and the family members of some of the veterans I work with is like, wow, what is the difference? Or, you know, I hear this back from the veteran is that as they start to learn the mindfulness, right, which is control of the attentional resources, and then you combine that with focusing on the breath, for example, and learning that you can actually control your physiology by controlling your breath, that just by extending your exhale, you can start to shift the balance of the nervous system into one that gives you more sense of a control. And that as we start to practice these tools and, and, and engage in behaviors that are um, uh, more in line with our values, you actually, people notice it. You don't see it like a muscle, but the people around you can see it and can and start to feel it in the same way that you actually feel it. Right. And so, and this is the, the benefits of mindfulness and this idea of present moment, you know, with the present attention, with awareness. Um, and, and I'm thinking that actually having a dedicated meditation practice, and, and we can definitely talk about some of the stereotypes that are out there. Um, but by, being mindful without a dedicated practice is sort of like expecting the puppy to train itself, right? Just as, as the puppy grows up, it's going to start paying attention. Um, and, and maybe that's true as, as maybe the dog gets a little bit more maturity or something like that, but you can get there faster if you actually go through a regimen of training the puppy. Um, and that's where an actual dedicated mindfulness meditation practice comes in. Yeah, yeah, I guess. I mean, it's just like anything else, right? If you want to learn any skill or any skill at all, right, you have to practice it. You have to practice it over and over again. And, uh, sometimes it's frustrating, right, when you're trying to learn something new. Uh, and certainly dealing with our own minds can be frustrating. But uh, having a dedicated practice can be, and I think this is where the yoga practice or the, what people call yoga, right, which I would call mindful movement, um, is where uh, maybe sometimes that mindful movement practice really helps because being able to sort of do both your physical exercise and your mental exercise at the same time, right, in today's world when we only have a limited amount of time, um, but it also allows us to um, really embody the practices. And so it's not just a mental exercise. Um, becoming fully aware, becoming mindful means actually utilizing the resources of your nervous system that is in your entire body so again when we're talking about the five tools that we teach um, it's not just about focusing your attentional resources it's not just about using your breath to you know be able to control sort of how you feel um, but being able to use a physical practice can often give us that routine right where we can actually start to have a dedicated practice um, because it what I find, at least in my experience, is that 
Um, sitting to meditate for a lot of people is uncomfortable because as you start to sit, you start to notice all the things you normally don't sit with, right? The thoughts and the feelings, and you start to sort of deal with that frustration. And that can often lead to avoidance. And you're less likely to go to back to your mat tomorrow because, God, who wants to sit there and deal with that frustration? But when you can move that frustration through the body and find strength in your legs, when you can find strength in your body and balance in your body um, through the physical practice and at the same time be practicing that, you know, training your puppy, um, sometimes it makes it a little bit more um, accessible for some people. Right. And then, of course, there's the stereotypes, right? You know, a lot of veterans I talk to, they think it's, you know, sitting cross-legged on the floor and lotus position, and, you know, fingertips touching and just saying, oh, you know, I mean, this is the, the thing that when somebody says meditation, we think, you know, Buddhist monks, and it is, it did arise out of um, Eastern philosophy and Eastern religion. Um, but this is something in, in my experience, and perhaps, you know, correct me if I'm wrong in your experience, that, um, that maybe causes veterans to look at it side, kind of sideways um, whenever anybody suggests it or, or, you know, tries to get them to do it. Yeah. And I think, um, I think that's less true now, but certainly uh, eight years ago when veterans yoga project was just beginning, there were a lot more stereotypes about meditation and yoga, right? It's either for, like you said, you know, somebody who can sit cross-legged and, you know, just put their mind in this blank, awesome, blissful place or, you know, the young person in, you know, tight clothes that's, you know, perfectly proportioned on the cover of the yoga magazine. Um, you know, it, there's a lot of different stereotypes, but I think for the, in the large part, Dwayne, that those stereotypes have really fallen away. And that what I see more and more is that one, um, if you're, if you can't sleep, if you are in chronic pain, if you're dealing with anger issues or trauma issues, you'll do anything that works and you'll try anything because the pills aren't working because, you know, this is making it worse. I don't, you know, whatever it is. Um, and so especially with the older Vietnam veterans who have really led the way and have shown that these practices are actually a lot more helpful than stuff that I've been trying for 40 years. Um, that and you just start to hear more stories. There's just more stories of more veterans out there who are practicing. Um, and, you know, we're talking about, you know, the uh, the quote, most masculine of the masculine special forces guys, you know, um, that, you know, the most successful CEOs in the, in the world, like they're all people that practice meditation in some way. And so I think the information is so widespread out there that um, the most successful people in the world are the ones who are training their minds to be their biggest asset. No, I appreciate that you brought that up. I was talking to a colleague, and it's, I don't, I mean, it may have been, I think, maybe either right before or right after that you and I um, had the, the conversation that morning, but um, he was a Navy SEAL, and he said, you know, six, eight years ago, um, whenever you talk to other Navy SEALs, and he said, I'm going to go, you know, meditate or do yoga, and they'd look at him like he had a horn growing out of his head. Um, and, and now you're not going to find a Navy SEAL or a Green Beret that doesn't have some sort of, uh, meditative practice. And he was like, yoga's all over the place in that community. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. It's really amazing. Um, and that just shows you, uh, you know, that people want practices that are empowering. Nobody wants to take pills, right? Um, I mean, I'm all for, uh, you know, some of these evidence based and having, and having professional supports, I think there's nothing more important. 
Um, and especially if you're doing these practices, you need a community, you need a social support, you need professional supports. Um, but most importantly, trauma is a disempowering experience. From the moment trauma happens, it, you are disempowered in your mind, in your body. And these practices are re-empowering and help put us in control. And that's what people are looking for. And, you know, we all want to be better at what we do, whether you are an active duty Navy SEAL, whether you are, um, you know, teaching yoga, whether you are, you know, creating podcasts, we all want to be better at what we do. And my, uh, my mission, I guess, is to in particular help veterans and families who are, uh, struggling with reintegration or struggling with trauma or just moving through that process to be able to have the tools to do so successfully. And, and I have to say, you know, I just, uh, before we got on the podcast, I looked at your, you have a one minute YouTube video on your website. And, uh, I think you mentioned your mission, right? Is to re-empower uh, and build resilience among our veteran military families because really they are our best assets and that's really who we need to lead our communities and to uh, help our struggling world. You know, it is, and, and, and it is something obviously that we're passionate about, but, but we also wouldn't be passionate about it if it weren't effective, right? And, and a couple of things that you said there, and I think this is again something that you mentioned when you and I talked. Um, and, and again, after I, um, after you and I talked and connected to one of the VYP leaders here, um, it's a lot of the older veterans that, that are really engaging in this practice. You mentioned, you know, we've been trying something for 50 years, so we might as, might as well try this, but, but I am seeing a lot of Vietnam veterans, and I say it often, there's not a Vietnam veteran younger than 65 today. And so, you know, the, the Vietnam veterans and the older veterans are really the ones that are filling up these groups. Yeah, yeah, they, um, they have really led the way. And if you look at some of the, you know, the evidence on, you know, the effectiveness of yoga, um, one of the things that yoga helps the most with is chronic pain issues. And that's one of the things I see in a lot of the older, you know, Vietnam era vets that we're working with is, you know, as you get older, you got more aches and pains, you got more chronic pain issues. Um, certainly if you have wear and tear from uh, combat or your military experience, um, and so, you know, again, these integrative tools aren't working just on your mind or just on your body, right? They're working in a holistic way. And so we're getting relief from anxiety and stress, but we're also getting relief from physical pain from, you know, maybe some high blood pressure. Uh, and so I think the, the nice thing is to be able to see those veterans really leading the way on opening the door to talking about veterans' mental health, on opening the door to um, practicing tools that may have just a few years ago been seen as, you know, stereotypically, you know, unavailable to certain veterans. Right. And I think that it, the other thing that's beneficial is, is you are a clinical psychologist, right? You are a, a, a licensed mental health professional. Um, you, you, I assume, provide psychotherapy. And, and you mentioned before, it's, it's not that, you know, um, all a veteran needs to do is, you know, develop a yoga practice and then everything else will be fine, right? It, it fits within a larger group of, you know, sure, you may still go to therapy, but you might go to therapy less or you might go to therapy dealing with different things than maybe you had in the past. And sure, maybe there's some, um, medications. There's, you know, obviously some conditions like schizophrenia that, you know, only medications will address these kind of things. Um, but it's, it's not a standalone, solution 
And it's an integrated solution that can be put in place with these other practices to, as you said, address this holistically rather than individually. And one of the coolest things that's happening now is that um, the VA is recognizing this. So where eight years ago, we couldn't use the word yoga at, you know, some of the VAs. Um, now the VA is um, hiring yoga teachers. They are actually mandating and encouraging and providing financial incentives to different facilities to get yoga, veterans to practice yoga and some of these other integrative treatments. And so really being able to integrate these tools and these practices into the medical system. So, you, you know, you're really getting all of your bases covered. And in particular, again, dealing with your own mind and body is um, challenging and really having that support of another person, having someone in your corner. Um, and one of the nice things about yoga is often, you know, people really find community in yoga. And so, you know, you have not just maybe your professional uh, shrink in your corner, but, you know, now you have other people that you're practicing along with that are also in your corner. And just that sense of social support, as you know, right, is the biggest predictor of mental and physical well-being. Um, so I think m these things are definitely happening and um, being integrated because they work. Right. And, and like you said, it's not just about taking away the bad stuff, right? It's just, it's not just resolving my trauma or that somebody can say the, the phrase, you know, RC East Afghanistan and I'm not going to get the hair stand on the back of my neck. That's not what this, this is all about. It's about putting good stuff in the place of the bad stuff that has been removed. If, if we want to make that kind of distinction, but, you know, building community while also resolving those traumatic memories. Um, and, and that's something, as you'd mentioned, right? The VA's whole health initiative. Um, that's, that's part of their, their goal is to help veterans build this community and build connection with others. Yeah. And I think that's, I mean, that's partly what the practice of yoga meditation is about because as you sit and you come across those feelings that you don't necessarily often want to feel, um, and you, as you move through them, you are simultaneously getting stronger. Right. You are actually activating different parts of your body and your legs as you're engaging in different physical postures. Um, and so it is you are building that strength. And hopefully, again, with the with the proper supports, you are building um, back to finding your own mission and purpose in life and maybe just finding more enjoyment in life and your curiosity and play and that post-traumatic growth. And I think there is a role for all of that. And I don't think you know, working through the muck and working through your trauma is not a pleasant experience, but there are really empowering parts of that process that, um, that lift you up and, and help you uh, see a little bit more clearly in the end. And so, and that's a, that's a good overview, obviously, of both mindfulness and, and mindfulness meditation. Um, I'd like to hear a little bit about how specifically the Veteran Yoga Project has maybe developed this and, and really, um, helped not just veterans inside the VA, but even in the community, um, sort of bring these concepts to their local practice. Yeah. So I, again, I'm a, I'm a clinical psychologist. Um, I really never intended to run a yoga organization. Uh, but I found again that the veterans I worked with had better outcomes. And so I started working with yoga teachers and training yoga teachers. Well, how do you, if you're going to be at a VA, how do you work, um, with 
veterans who are dealing with trauma. So learning just some basics about what trauma is and what post-traumatic stress is and some, you know, sort of basic do's and don'ts. Um, but ultimately it's, uh, learning about how to hold space for people so that you can teach these tools and allow our students, right, our vets to figure out what tools help for them, right? There's a lot of different breathing practices, for example, right? There's something as simple as just inhaling and then slowing down and extending your exhale. So your exhale is longer than your inhale, right? Something very simple like that can be a very calming breath. But there are, you know, like there are many more breathing practices that we can engage with. And so if we can um, not pretend that we know what's best for anybody, not pretend that we're trying to fix anybody because nobody's broken. We're just trying to hold the space so that we can share tools with our vets and they can tell us what works for them. I have some vets who, like I said, stopped taking his sleep meds because, you know, he would meditate to go to sleep. Other vets I work with, you know, sitting meditation isn't for them. So, you know, they, some of their movement practices are more calming or more uh, empowering for them. And so, uh, over time, we started teaching uh, more of these practices out there in the world, and we started working with more and more VAs and vet centers. And so as a clinical psychologist, my goal is really to integrate this into the complementary, as a complementary, as a respected complementary healthcare discipline. And now, now we're starting to see that. And so we work now with uh, more than 18 VAs, 17 vet centers, a dozen veterans, other veteran service organizations around the country. And we provide these classes to veterans at no cost to them. And so we do fundraising out there in the world. And we get a lot of uh, the yoga community that donates uh, through various fundraisers. We get some corporate business donations. Uh, we're now writing grants and all of this so that we can um, bring these tools to, uh, like I said earlier, we, we documented 20,000 visits last year. And we're documenting clinically significant reductions in distress and pain. Um, so showing that, uh, you know, a large portion of the time veterans are leaving our classes in less pain uh, on a 10 point scale, sometimes two, three, four, five points on a 10 point scale. So, um, so that's what we do now. And it's, um, I have to say the most rewarding work I've ever done. And like I said, you know, yoga is not a standalone treatment, but I can't tell you how many veterans have told me yoga saved my life. Yoga saved my life. And I, I hear it every, you know, like every month I'll hear somebody else, another veteran tell me that. And so there's not only the sort of data that we're collecting, but it's the feedback that I'm getting from the veterans themselves that's telling me that we're doing the right thing and we're on the right track. And it's um, and we're going to continue this mission of, can, you know, trying to uh, bring these tools to whoever needs it. See, and that's great. And I have um, also seen a lot of the same thing in, in veterans. Um, and again, for me, it is a lot of the older veterans, um, but they'll say the same thing that it's been very impactful. But, but I also get the sense that there's veterans out there. They say, okay, that's, that's great for them. Maybe that saved their life, but yoga is not for me. Yeah, maybe it's not. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's there are a lot of ways um, to the top of the mountain, and uh, I don't think it's on any one of us to know what any one other person needs to do. Um, I think the best we can do as human beings, as mental health providers, as people who are working with veterans, is to support veterans, um, that individual veteran, and what works for them, and help empower them to discover. And maybe yoga is for them, maybe not. Meditation is for them, maybe not. Um, I think we can make these tools and these treatments available 
and we empower that person to to tell us what's working for them. See, and, and this is something, again, that you and I had talked about that, um, you know, not all yoga is created equal, right? There's, you know, if a veteran goes down to, they say, maybe they listen to this, oh, okay, I'll go to a local yoga studio, and, and it turns out to be something different than what they were expecting. Um, Veterans Yoga Project specifically um, teaches instructors to perform trauma-informed yoga. So thank you for bringing that up. Um, so certainly if there's veterans listening to this who have not done yoga, what I would say is go to three different yoga classes because there are no two yoga classes that are the same. There are some yoga classes that will, you know, they crank up the heat and you're doing a physical workout that is the strongest physical workout you've ever done and you leave with a puddle of sweat on the floor. Um, and that's the kind of, there's other types of yoga where you basically lay down on on top of blankets and bolsters and take a nap and sort of do a guided practice. And there's every version in between. And so what I would encourage people to do is to go to three, go to five different yoga classes, five different yoga teachers and practice and try these different styles until you find one that works for you. Um, I sometimes hear from a veteran, Oh, I tried yoga. That doesn't work for me or I don't like yoga. And I don't know what that means. Cause again, there's so many different styles of yoga and so many different ways to bring your attentional resources to focus on your own breath and your own body and your own mind in a way that is supportive and helps you grow and helps you get stronger and more flexible and more balanced. Um, and there's not one way to do it. Um, the other thing I want to say specifically is about trauma sensitivity and trauma sensitive yoga. And there's sometimes this, um, I think, misconception out there, sometimes in the yoga world, where trauma-sensitive yoga means that as a yoga teacher, you're walking around on eggshells trying not to trigger your students. And that's not what it's about either, right? It's really, again, about holding the space to empower our students with tools that they can help, you know, that's going to help them when they're dealing with anxiety, driving down the road, when I'm feeling just ornery and like, you know, on edge, and I'm just feeling like I'm snapping at my family and my kids and or I'm feeling depressed about that like whatever it is that we're dealing with personally right our job is to share some tools to help you figure out your way through that um, so all of the VYP teachers are trained in trauma sensitivity but that doesn't necessarily determine the um, strength of a class the flow of a class uh, whether that's going to be quote power yoga in a heated room or um, a more slow, quote, gentle yoga, and that all of these practices um, can be, I guess, tailored to, and, and you can find practices that work for you, right? And there's, there's not one way to do yoga. Right. And I think it takes, um, you know, and we talk a lot about as clinicians about culturally competent clinicians we need to understand because regardless of whether either veterans or non-veterans like it there are unique aspects to being a military service member there's unique aspects to being a combat veteran there's unique aspects to being the the different um you know branches differences air force and and things like that and so there, there is a need to understand who do you, who your audience is. And that just means it, it doesn't mean trauma sensitive yoga, like we're not going to traumatize you, but to recognize that if this is a VYP class, um, then likely the individuals who are in this class have a shared set of experiences and understanding those. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and you know, yeah, there's a whole, and again, I'm not a vet, so I don't, 
even know military culture. Um, and plenty of our teachers are not vets as well. And it's not for us to pretend to know. We obviously want to learn as much as we can. But if we treat individuals as individuals, then most of the time we are going to be able to provide that space and give them tools to help them, whether they are, you know, in treatment and moving from post-traumatic stress to post-traumatic growth, or whether they're out there in the community already working on, you know, empowering others and uh, leading their communities. So if, um, if a veteran or a veteran's family member or a clinician are listening to this, how can they uh, maybe get involved, find a local um, VYP instructor, or um, what are the, some of the different programs that the Veterans Yoga Project provides? Sure. So veteransyogaproject.org uh, is our website. On that website, you can find a class or a teacher locator. So we have an app. If you type in your zip code, up will pop uh, current classes that are specifically for veterans and or Veterans Yoga Project trained yoga teachers out in the community. Um, for those who uh, are more passionate about the project, we certainly have a volunteer button. We have a our organization is run largely by volunteers. And of course, we, despite the fact that we're working with uh, more than 35 VAs and vet centers, we get no government funding. So all of our funding comes from individual and business donations. And so uh, if you're looking for a class, go to the website. If you're looking to support the work we're doing, go to the website. And uh, either way, even if you don't work with Veterans Yoga Project, I would certainly encourage anyone listening to try to find a practice that might work for them or at least explore the world of yoga and mindfulness and see if there isn't something there that would be beneficial for them. You know, that's great. And, uh, and definitely looking around the website, it is very, um, it, honestly, there are more. And, and you've been out to Colorado Springs a couple different times um, and, and trained a number of um, uh, instructors here. And But I'm looking at um, one of our local um craft breweries because that's what we do in Colorado but uh, looks like one of our craft breweries has a um, weekly uh, veterans yoga project class right and so and there's a lot of different um, uh, places in, in looking at the map here on your website there's all kind of different opportunities uh, for individuals to be connected so that's great you know I, I'd like to maybe give you um, a little bit to maybe give us any final thoughts uh, I don't know if I have any real final thoughts other than to um, thank you for having me on the show. I, I enjoy speaking about this. I, I think being able to talk about veterans' mental health, about mental health in general is important. And I think being able to talk about it in a way that is empowering and uh, allows us to um, not be uh, not be avoidant of it. Right to know that within the struggle there is the strength, and that sometimes you got to go deep and dark to find your light, and that um, as we, you know, uh, you had a, a guest on. Uh, I listened to Mike Ergo, who's a, a good. I, don't know, I consider him a friend. Uh, he's certainly a. He's one of the directors of the vet center here, uh, and a veteran you had on your podcast recently. And he is all about uh, really honoring those who have, um, you know, the Gold Star families in particular, um, but really honoring all of the men and women who have served, especially those who have given their lives. 
And so the fact that um, there are these opportunities for us to share in that experience, uh, I'm just very grateful. So um, thank you, Dwayne, for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I appreciate, well, I appreciate you listening to, to a couple of the episodes. Um, but, but that's a great example of the fact that, uh, you know, uh, Mike expresses, I mean, he is a, a clinician in mental health and so he sees value in therapy. Uh, but he's also a triathlete. I think I just saw him, um, he just ran his fourth triathlon, uh, this mm-hmm. past weekend. Um, and, and that's a way. Right. To be able to, you know, um, find community and make this connection. Um, the veterans yoga project is not a triathlon. Um, it's yet another way to find this, this whole health, this whole body health, psychological, spiritual, emotional, and, and physical. Um, that, that there are so many different ways out there. And, and what you said earlier was, you know, you find something that works for you and stick with it. Um, and think that just because, Maybe yoga doesn't work for you. Maybe triathlons do. And if triathlons don't work for you, maybe yoga does. There you go. Yeah, I really appreciate you taking the time to uh, come on the show today. I appreciate you having me, and I appreciate the work that you do. Thank you. You're listening to Headspace and Timing, where we're trying to change the way that we think and talk about veteran mental health. Mindfulness meditation and yoga are things that are emerging into the mental health and wellness space, and they can lead to a lot of benefits. As I mentioned on the show, I have a daily meditation practice. I take anywhere from 10 to 20 minutes, and I listen to a guided meditation. There are a lot of resources out there if you want to find out more, but the resource I use is called Insight Timer, which can be found at InsightTimer.com. They have a free library of over 25,000 guided meditations. If you're looking to get started with one, I suggest that you check out a colleague of mine, Navy SEAL turned meditation practitioner John McCaskill. He's got a great introduction to the practice of meditation and a short talk on the science behind it. You can find his work at VeteranMentalHealth.com forward slash meditation. I'd also like to let you know of a series of webinars that I'm producing for NADAC, the National Association for Addiction Professionals. I'm presenting a series of six webinars on service member, veteran, and military family mental health. They'll be live webinars presented over the remainder of 2019, and after they're complete, they'll be available to watch on demand. To see more about the series, go to veteranmentalhealth.com forward slash NADAC. That's veteranmentalhealth.com forward slash N-A-A-D-A-C to check them out. Thanks for taking the time to listen. If you want to find the show notes for this episode, go to VeteranMentalHealth.com forward slash HST140. If you enjoyed the show, I ask that you subscribe to it on the podcast player of choice. That helps others find the show. I always value your feedback, so let me know how you think I'm doing by providing an honest rating or review. Just a reminder that the guests and information on this show are for educational purposes only and not meant to be professional advice. While I am a therapist, I'm not your therapist. If something you've heard makes you think that you should talk to somebody, then reach out to do so. I'd like to thank Doc Todd for giving us permission to use his track, Not Alone, from his album Combat Medicine. Doc's trying to bring the discussion about veteran mental health out of the darkness, and you can see all of his work at therealdoctod.com. Make sure to join us for the next episode. Hit subscribe on your podcast player of choice so you don't miss it. Until next time, remember, veterans, you're not alone. Ever. The struggle is real, found a feast and lost a soul Eventually my drinking, it got out of control There in darkness I roam, struggling to find home See suddenly death didn't feel so alone 22 
mind and tranquility Often in Tennessee embrace my ability Are you looking for more ways to learn about military and veteran culture? Are you a mental health professional or public health professional without lived experience in the military but find yourself working with veterans? Are you a caregiver or a family member of a veteran? Then you might be interested in a series of books that have been released with you in mind. By going to veteranmentalhealth.com forward slash books, you can check out three books that give you an insight into veteran mental health from a combat veteran perspective. These books are a collection of short, consumable essays that discuss a wide range of topics related to mental health and wellness in post-military life. Head on over to VeteranMentalHealth.com forward slash books and check them out for yourself or follow the link in the show notes.